Hi, and welcome to the Lighthouse Church Podcast, where we're diving deeper into God's Word and doing our best to help encourage you in your walk with God. Thanks for joining us. You know, the goal of this whole series here that we're in, that I believe God has for us, is that to help us understand that life truly begins at salvation, but it doesn't end at salvation. It begins at salvation, and that we have a duty in our lives to create culture uh, a kingdom culture uh, that's birthed, and it takes a while, doesn't it? I mean, none of us walk straight out, you know, of church or wherever it was that we received Christ, and we met him, and, and say, I'm totally, I've totally got it. I mean, I completely got it, and uh, that is not how it worked for me. I don't think it's how it works for anybody else. So today we're going to dive into a different scripture, and it's going to be a little different today, and so I've got to spend two-thirds of this sermon setting up the whole thing just for the end, okay? Is that all right? Is everybody okay? I'm going to mention some names to you here right now to just talk about these names for a second because we're talking about creating culture, and I want you to think about some of these names that I'm going to throw out here. And then we think about in biblical names. I mean, you know, think about the characters that they uh, represent, the people that they represent. David is one, you know. What do y'all think of David? David, pretty good, pretty good. He had a, he had a little woman issue going on, but other than that, I mean, he was a pretty good fella. Uh, God really showed him a lot of favor. And then there was another guy uh, named Jehoshaphat. Now, I've always said that I wouldn't want that name. Anybody else? Because you know that some kid in school is going to call you fatty or something like that, and you're going to carry that around all your life being, like being called booger. So Jehoshaphat, though, Jehoshaphat was not, not perfect, but he did lead the people to the Lord, and he did a lot of good things. Isaiah was another one. Um, he was 16 when he became the king of Judah, and he reigned Judah for 52 years. Uh, so, and, and the scripture says he did what was right before the Lord. So these are good people. All right, David, Jehoshaphat, Uzziah. Here's another one for you, Jotham. Uh, he was not perfect, but he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He also served as king of Judah. Hezekiah is another one. You may be more, more familiar with Hezekiah, a godly king that was aware of God's work and God's presence. Josiah, he's one of our kids, okay? Josiah was actually, uh, he's over there, but I'd have to say, he was eight years old when he became the king of Judah. And, uh, and, and it was because his father, the king, was assassinated. And after generations of the absence of God, God used Josiah to bring back the word and the law of God and to rebuild the temple. Pretty good. So some people will say, where did you get the name Josiah? Well, you haven't read your Bible real good. You're telling on yourself. So, and the truth is, I had not heard much about Josiah until Amanda said, we should name him Josiah. And I was like, wasn't that in the Bible? So anyway, I had to go study. So I'm going to be honest with you. But Josiah reigned for well over 31 years, from the age of eight on up until, you know, 40 years old or so. So let me throw out two more names that you're going to know pretty well. And there's a reason why I'm sharing all these names. Name dropping, right? Joseph. Y'all know Joseph? He also became the husband of the woman who gave birth to Jesus Christ. Y'all know Joseph? Pretty, pretty good fella. I mean, I think he was a great fella. The reason I think that is because he had every right to do what, something other than become her husband because she had become pregnant before they got married and he had every legal right to go another way but he trusted her he believed her and obviously he became the earthly father of Jesus which could you imagine how what a load what a responsibility that was 
And so Joseph. But so then there's that other name that I just mentioned, name dropping, Jesus, right? Y'all know who Jesus is, son of God, son of man, the word among us, God's presence in the flesh, king of kings, Lord of lords, the one that the Old Testament points to, the one that the New Testament centered around, and the one that saved our souls as, as Christians, as believers. So he also has another name in Revelation 5, 5 called the line of the tribe of Judah. Imagine that. That's another one of my kids. So, but unfortunately, Judah's going to have to plug his ears today because he's going to find out that Judah wasn't exactly a very nice fella. And it's so funny to me that we see this, and I want you to see this culture going on today uh, as we contrast a couple of stories here because all these names have one thing in common, and they're all the descendants in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Every single one of those, going all the way back to Judah. And so, so we go back to this amazing story in the Old Testament of a man named Joseph, who was the brother of Judah. Y'all remember Joseph? Dolly Parton wrote a song about Joseph, The Coat of Many Colors. Y'all know that song, right? And actually, she stole that from God. <laughs> but it's still a good song, right? And so all of this goes back to that. And so we find in Genesis, Genesis is like packed full. It is, in my opinion, the most packed book in the entire Bible. There is so many years and so many generations and so many things that if you haven't looked at Genesis in a while, you should go back and just read Genesis for the rest of the year. Because there's this guy named Joseph, there's this guy named Judah, there's these brothers that they have, and some of them are crazy, nuts, and all of them are, truth be known. And they had this father, and his name was Israel, but before that he was Jacob, and you may remember that, that he had a, a tangle with, a, uh, with, a, with an angel, and he had his name changed and all that stuff. So, but he went on, he had 12 sons, and they became the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so if you study the Old Testament, you understand that this 12 tribes were very, very, very important in regards to the Old Testament, how it was set up. Each tribe had their own job, their duty. You know, the, the Benjamites were the warriors and the Levites were the priests and everything else. And certain ones were to get land. The Levites didn't get land because the, everybody else that had things were supposed to support them so that they could be the ones that goes in and sacrifices their life possibly in the Holy of Holies and everything else. And then oh, blah, 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 blah. So it's a lot of stuff. Genesis chapter 37, though, begins the story of Joseph. It's an amazing story if you haven't read it. And his coat of many colors and his dreams and his flamboyancy and his brother's jealousy. And if you go to chapter 39, you're going to continue reading that. But sandwiched right in there, it's like an like a, like a ice cream sandwich. Right in there, there's this yummy stuff, 37, 39. And then 38, if you're not careful, it kind of interrupts the story of Joseph and tells the story of Judah. And so that's kind of where we're going to be for a few minutes today because the story... Uh, is, is actually a pretty incredible story. And so I want to read, can we? Genesis 38, verses 1 through 5. We're not going to read the entire chapter. You can do that by yourself. Nobody needs to read the whole thing this morning. So it says, verse 1, At that time, Judah left his brothers, and he went down to stay with a man, a Dulam named Hirah. Okay, he went down to this place. Now, what's going on here? Now, what just happened was that they betrayed their brother Joseph because they were all jealous of Joseph because Joseph told them a few times that he had a dream and basically they're all going to bow down to him. And there ain't no brother alive that's going to like to hear that they're going to bow down to their other brother, especially if it's the youngest brother, right? Nobody. I wouldn't either. And so they hatched this plan and they said, we're going to kill him. And then Judah came up. And he said, no, no, no. He said, I got an idea. He said, let's not kill him. 
let's just spare his life and throw him in a pit. Then we'll sell him off into to somebody that comes by. And that's what he did. So Judah, in my opinion, some people say, well, Judah spared his life. No, Judah actually decided rather than killing him, let's profit from him. That's even more evil. And so he decides to do that. And so here in, in chapter 28, we see Judah, who's just collected the money from the betrayal, and he goes down to what, in my opinion, is probably like Las Vegas. He goes down to the bar scene, goes down to gamble, goes down to find him a woman, and this is where we're at. And he goes down and says in verse 2, there Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her, and he made love to her. Why? The Bible actually mentions that stuff. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and they named him Er. Imagine, what are we going to name him? I don't know. I was thinking, how about Er? You know, that's how that came up. Er, Er. Okay, yeah, that's good. So I don't know how you pronounce that necessarily, but I'm thinking of all these things. Then it says she conceived and gave birth to a son, another one, and named him Onan. All right, and then she gave birth still to another son and named him Shelah. And it was uh, Kazib that she gave birth to him at, there at, at Kazib. And so, so as soon as this shook down with Joseph, Judah goes down, and we're starting to read all the stuff that's happening to Judah. He had those three sons. The first one was so evil that God took him out. All right? But Judah told the second son to go lay and have relationships with his daughter-in-law from the first son, which was actually the right thing to do because they would extend their family out by doing so, which is a little weird, right, to us, but still, it is, it is, it's, this, is, this is right. He goes and has relationships with the woman, but before he, you can read it yourself, you can figure that out on your own. I'll just leave that one there. And so he didn't impregnate her on purpose, so God was not happy with him, so God took him out. Y'all with me? So that left one son who was underage. This is crazy, ain't it? This is a beautiful story about Joseph and the culture that Joseph... See, because Joseph, every culture, everything that happened to Joseph, Joseph just made it good. You would hand him a pile of lemons, and he would make the best lemonade you've ever seen in your life. They threw him into a pit. He was sold into slavery. They took him off. He became such a faithful, he was so smart that they promoted him outside of the range of what slaves were supposed to be promoted to the point that finally he was serving Pharaoh and his wife. And his wife said, which we don't know her name, I've always called her Hotifer. Hotifer, she said, I don't know, he came on to me and he didn't and she wrongfully accused him so they threw him into prison. And in prison he became so favored there as well. See, that's the culture you want, right? The culture that, like Joseph had, that no matter what the circumstances are, you're going to allow kingdom culture to come into it, and doing so, God will always promote you. Because where does promotion come from? From the Lord, not from me, from the Lord. So I'm, I'm inviting kingdom culture in. And over here is Judah, who is going to be the great, 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 great granddaddy of Jesus. And he's out finding women, making them pregnant, screwing up, not raising his sons to fear the Lord and do the right thing. And here we are in this story. And after this, he goes, after his two sons had died, he goes to his daughter-in-law, Tamar. He said, hey, listen, we're going to have to work out a deal here. He said, I want you to go back and live with your father in his house as a widow. And then when my youngest son gets old enough, 
then I'm going to call for you, and we'll take care of all this then. And she said, okay. But see, the truth is what, what Judah thought was going to happen was that since his other two sons had been struck down by God, that the youngest one didn't have a chance. But God has a sense of humor. And he allowed the youngest son to get old enough, and Judah did not follow up with his daughter-in-law and do the right thing. So this is where it gets crazy. Y'all with me? Y'all okay? This is how important that you get this. So Tamar, she cracks this, the daughter-in-law. She says, hmm, well, I heard, she heard that he was coming through town, the town where she was living. So she decided to dress up as a prostitute. All this is in chapter 38, all this. And she decides to dress up as a prostitute and go sit on the corner. Now, you couldn't recognize the prostitutes of the day because they would cover themselves. But people knew by the way they dressed, just like we would, that there's a prostitute. Probably, right? And so he, Judah, comes into town. The first thing that we see, he goes to the prostitute and tells her, hey, how about me and you get together? Now, here's what's interesting to me that the story don't tell because Tamar knows just enough about the character of Judah that he's actually going to come to her if she dresses up like a prostitute. Didn't say that in Scripture. But she knows, and so he doesn't know who she is. He goes and has relations with her, impregnates her, not just with one baby, but with twins. What? But he didn't know it. And so he comes back later on. Somebody comes to him and says, hey, your daughter-in-law over there, staying with her daddy, she pregnant. He says, is that right? Well, won't you bring her to me and we're going to kill her. Well, meanwhile, she's smarter. Listen, guys, don't mess with a woman. Don't mess with a woman, especially when that woman has got it in her mind that she's going to have vengeance on you because she outsmarted Judah, the same one that gave birth to the people that gave birth to Jesus in this, you know, that became the father of Jesus, I should say, the royal heritage of Jesus, the royal line of Jesus. And so here she comes back into town, and she's not just pregnant, but she's got some things in her hands. Those are things that he left when he slept with her that night. And his things actually had like his logo on them. And she says, he says, there she is. And so she goes, here, you left this, by the way. And he says, dang. <laughs> he doesn't say that in Scripture, but that's how it goes down. She, he says, dang, woman. And he looks at her, and this is his response. I'm totally lost now. He says, verse 26. He says this. He says, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, shall I? He realized at that moment how stupid he was. How ignorant he was being. And so let's come back to that in just a minute because now I share all this with you for one primary reason. In every story, there's a culture going on. There's a culture being created. Joseph had a healthy culture, no matter his circumstances. You understand? I think it's funny that Joseph shared his dreams with his brothers, but he was a young boy, and he was just doing what young boys do. And as an older person, you begin to realize that there's some people you just can't share things with. But as a young person, you don't. So, man, that's how it goes. Judah, though, was in the same family, but his culture was completely different than Joseph's. Isn't that interesting how that can happen? 
Judah, which, by the way, was the grandfather of all those people, right? Let's remind ourselves that I mentioned in the very beginning of this, all these kings, uh, and the culture that he created was toxic. And it was so toxic that two of his sons died, and he also became the father of his own grandsons. Yeah, man, that's messed up. But let's remember this, that our culture is not just shaped by the decisions we make, but our culture is also shaped by those decisions that generations prior to us made. So that's something that we have to battle when we're looking at bringing kingdom culture in. So Judah was the son of Israel, right, Jacob. But his mother was also the mother of three of those brothers of his because there was four different women involved, right, with, with Jacob. And his mother, Judah's mother, was Leah. The first one. And if you remember the story, Jacob went down, and this is all in Genesis 2. You can, I mean, it's a crazy story. This is like the days of our lives, isn't it? It's like a soap opera. And so you remember the story, Judah, or Jacob was going to go find him a woman, and then the father of the woman betrayed him and gave him Leah instead of the one that he wanted. And so he ended up having four sons with Leah, and this is how it went down. I want to read this to you, Genesis chapter 29. So, understand Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. We have that, verse 31, okay. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. Did you hear that? So, there's problems brewing. You understand there's a culture being shaped here. Leah is not being loved. I believe Leah was a very loved person, loved woman before, but she gets married to Jacob who didn't want to marry her, and he didn't love her. And so the Lord saw that she was not loved. He enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Because Rachel was the one that Jacob really wanted. Man, this is, this is, I mean, Hollywood ain't got nothing on this. Leah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, firstborn. All right, for she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. So all of her sons she had were named because of her lack of love or her misery. Every one of them. So it says then, it says, she conceived again. Verse 33, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, she gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. And again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons, so he, is named, he was named Levi. She was hoping this would fix it, but it didn't fix it. So then she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, Judah, and then she stopped having kids. Because by that time, she had done figured out her baby daddy was messed up. Right? You see what I'm saying? To understand this, I want you to understand this about culture. When you're creating culture, be careful what you name what's in front of you. Because the name of where you're at currently, maybe the worldly culture, maybe your fleshly culture that you've built, maybe you're still battling and you're going to name it something that's going to carry over into the kingdom culture, and you're going to always be reminded. You know, one of the things that God did in Scripture is he changed people's names. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. He changed Abraham to, or Abram to Abraham. He changed Sarah to Sarah, you know, the father of many, the mother of many, and everything else. So the very names of these boys, though, were given out of their mother's issues of not being loved and being hated and isolated. So do you think that that culture carried over into the mindset of Simeon and Judah and, you know, these four oldest. And the, being the oldest, don't you think they kind of set the standard, set the mindset, set the pace? We joke around a lot. 
Our oldest Katie's not in here. She comes to second service. She got more spankings than any kid that we've got. Part of it is because she lived dangerously. And we were just doing our best to save her life. You know? But one of the things that we've noticed as our kids got older is that she kind of became that person that directed others in the house. She said, mm, you better not do that because you know what's going to happen. I could tell you from experience what's going to happen right now. And so she became that light, you know. The, she was like John the Baptist. She was preparing the way, you know. And here she is, and she's doing this stuff. So I'm going out on a limb here and saying that it seems to me that this entire family is toxic as can be. But see, if you go into the story, Joseph's mother was completely different than the rest. And I don't believe she raised him like the rest of them were raised. And so he had a different mindset and a different education because he was very smart. And he's smarter than the rest of them. So the big question, though, is what happened to change Judah? What changed Judah? Because Verse 26 is where it happens, and that's where I want to finish this sermon up today because this is the meat of it, man. This is, the, this is what we got to see today when we're talking about changing our culture and bringing kingdom culture down in our life. It doesn't give us the details, but when J Judah says she is more righteous than I, I believe that's when Judah had a moment and he had... Something happened in him that transitioned him from the way that he used to think to the way that he would think in the future. Because as we read through the rest of Genesis, we see Judah show up a few times. And every time that we see him come, he is totally different than the Judah that he used to be. And I believe it all revolves around verse 26 in chapter 38. Because what happened was, it's just like us, we come face to face with grace. Because grace will not leave us like we were when we encounter grace. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the empowerment to overcome sin. Grace is the empowerment to bring kingdom culture down in our life and leave the old mindset and the old ways behind us so that we can become the new and improved Judah. Because when God had made these plans, God knew that Judah was going to be the great, 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 great granddaddy of the father of Jesus on this earth. And he said, I'm not basing my plans on who you are right now. I'm basing my plans on who I have made you to be. And then God provided him with that road to Damascus moment when a woman who he had impregnated looked at him and said, here you go. And he said, dang. And he came face to face with grace. And when we see him resurface, we see him resurface when there's been uh, dryness and barren and, and there's this poverty going on and they're having to travel to Egypt. And guess who made their way to Egypt? Joseph did. The brother, the one that he sold out, the one that he betrayed. Now Joseph is empowered, but they don't know that. And so here they are standing there, and they don't even realize that it's Joseph that they're talking to, and they're getting ready to keep Benjamin, the youngest brother, the one that came after Joseph. And Judah says, no, because Judah remembered what it was like. He said, take me. You see, you don't say something like that unless you've been changed. You don't say something like that until you've come face to face with grace. And you know what the church is in need of today? It's not for us to sing a pretty song, not for us to preach a good sermon, for all of us to have an individual experience coming face to face with grace because we will never be the same again, ever. There's never going to be a day that will be the same. And so little did he know 
that he was standing before the one that he had done wrong. <laughs> this is so cool. Joseph's like, they don't even know who I am because they let his hair grow out. So I don't know exactly what happened anyway. They didn't even realize what was going on because it had been so long. And so he said, let your servant remain instead of this boy. Could you imagine being Joseph? And you've got all these emotions and all these feelings. And you're looking at the ones who betrayed you just for a little bit of money. And you have the power in your hands to go. You know what I'm saying? To squish them like, like an ant. All you have to do is say, kill him, and somebody's going to kill him. And all of a sudden, in God's goodness, in all of this story, and all of a sudden now it comes down to in this court, when Joseph is looking at these betrayers, and they don't know who Joseph is, and Judah, the man who had come face to face with grace and said, no, take me, let the boy go home. And the reason that he did is because he didn't want to break his heart, father's heart a second time. So not only was he concerned about the youngest brother, but he was concerned about the elderly father. You see, that's what grace does. It changes you. It changes how you look at things. And so here is Judah was now a protector of both young and old. But in the next verse in Genesis 45, 45 I'm not going to read it to you, but you can read it later. I swear, if y'all ain't reading Genesis after this, you're crazy. So in the next verse, we see Joseph utterly, it says, utterly undone. So much so, it says, unable to control himself with so much emotion, he makes himself known to his brothers. But before he does, he sends people out of the court, of the area where they're at. He sends everybody out, and it's just him and his brothers, and he reveals who he is, and he, he says that he is uncontrollable with emotion. So much so that the Egyptians heard him squalling outside the doors. So the absolute first and most important way to change our culture today, church, is by grace. Kingdom culture is built and founded on grace. And I have found out in 48 years that there, is, there ain't nothing that grace can't fix. And I know churches will say one thing, and there's religious people that will say another thing, but I've not seen anything that grace can't fix. This family is nothing short of a hot mess. And look at what God did to redeem the family and in doing so, redeemed the entire nation of Israel who was just getting their start. One that would eventually give birth to the very Son of God. You hear me? And become the father, become the parents of the Son. Do you understand? This is amazing. And God is so much in control of that. So I know we talk a lot about grace. And we sing songs and preach sermons about it. But we never personally encounter His grace through some man-made conjured up thing we have to come to that place ourselves and we come face to face with grace not a song there's nothing wrong with a song don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with a sermon don't get me wrong i like sermons right i like them a lot but in our lives as individuals we will never be the same again when we come face to face with grace for the first time and I came face to face with grace when I come to know Jesus, but I didn't realize it. But later on, as I matured, I began praying, God, I want, I want to know more of your grace. I want you to reveal it to me. And God is not smug. He's not cruel. He'll reveal it to you, I promise you, if you continue to pray it. If you want immediate, an immediate shift to a kingdom culture mentality in your life, 
you'll ask God to reveal his grace to you. And you'll say, well, he did through Jesus. Yes, he did. But is it personal to you? Is it, is it, does, it, does it really hit you? Does it really click with you? Does it really, really, really do it? You know, I began to pray this a few years ago. And here's something that I realized, and I'll finish with this today, is this. It's not my job to struggle. There's a lot of us feel like it's our calling, right? Man, that's my calling. Lord, you bless me with the gift of struggle. Thank you, God, for this gift. God, I will use it somehow to glorify you. I don't know how, but God, I'm going to. And God, I will not just struggle, but I will be the best struggler of all. You will never see a better struggler than I am. As a matter of fact, if I see anybody that has struggles, I'm going to remind them that my struggles are even greater than their struggles. And that they think that they're having trouble with their struggles, they ain't seen nothing like the trouble that I've had. Because I have the gift of struggle. And, that, you know, it re I realized for the first time in my life that God had not put me here for that. You know what? God had, had spoke to me that night that I, that I had this encounter, that, that, that re revelation, this realization, is that my job is not to struggle. My job is to abide. To abide in the vine. I, God's not called me to struggle. It's not to say that I won't have struggles. But in the midst of my struggles, I want to be Joseph, and I want to abide. Because that's what Joseph was doing. He was abiding. You put him in prison, he abided. He abided. You put him in slavery, he abided. You throw him in a pit, he abided. Did he like it? No, but he abided. He made the best of the situation. If he struggled with it, if he was called to the gift of struggle like a lot of us are, then he might as well just stayed in the pit. And as a preacher I heard years ago said, pit happens. Be careful right there. Watch out. I thought he said something else, right? Some of y'all may have too. Now you're awake for the first time. It's that old Presbyterian pastor years ago that was trying to get his way out of the church that we were in, and, and, and he said two cuss words from the pulpit that Sunday morning, and I said, the best sermon he ever had because he was the worst preacher I've ever heard. And, and, and I was like, dang, I said, he's just getting good. Two weeks later, he's gone. I was like, where the heck did he go? I said, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, because that was the first time he actually had any juice in a sermon because the rest of it was dry as I'll get out. And then they replaced him. I said, dang, I don't know. So anyway, I can understand why. But here's what I realize is. Grace allows me to abide in a place that I'm not worthy to abide in. You hear me? Grace allows me to stay where I'm not worthy to stay. I'm not worthy to be in the throne room with God. But grace allows me to go, and not just go, but to abide in the very throne room of God. If we realize that, that changes everything. Because every day I wake up and I realize, God, I get to go to you. I don't have to have a priest. I don't have to have a blood sacrifice. You've already provided that. And God, I get to boldly go before your throne. And I don't just go in there and go, oh man. No, I go there and I'm like, it's just me and you, God. I'm just going to hang out. I'm just going to stay. <laughs> Guys, you understand this morning, there ain't nothing like grace. Grace is the difference between who I was and who I am. Grace is the wall between my past and my present. You understand? And God has not called me to stick one foot in and get back out. God has called me to abide. 
He didn't say, come into my presence with perfection. Come into my presence. No, he said, just come on in because I've given Jesus as a sacrifice because you ain't never going to be worthy. But grace allows us to stay in a place that we're not worthy of. Grace allows me to be in the presence. Grace allows me to talk to God when I'm not worthy to talk to God. Grace allows me to be empowered by the Holy Spirit when I'm not worthy to be so. You want to change your culture? Pray and say, God, I want to learn how to abide. I want to learn to come face to face with your grace. Just like Judah did with Tamar, his daughter-in-law. That's more righteous than I. It changes your life. God, we thank you today. As today we encounter you, God, we can we can have an altar call. We can do all these things, God. We could. I mean, I don't know, God. I don't know. I mean, but is it even more important that today that I walk out these doors and I go home and I say, you know what? I'm I'm going to start praying and saying, God, I I want to learn how to abide. God, you've not called me with the gift of struggle. That's not one of the fruits of the Spirit. God, you've called me to abide in the vine and that you are the core nucleus of that. You are the foundation of that when you give us Jesus and we're just branches off of him and we're watered and nurtured and we grow because of that. And our culture changes completely because we learn to abide in the vine. And when we do so, we come face to face with grace and just like Judah, We're changed completely because we realize when we come face to face with grace, we realize how little we are and how stupid we've been, how sinful we have been. But God, grace is too powerful and too great to leave us in the state that we were in. But it's not stopping just with that one encounter. It's learning to grow and go deeper in that grace and learning to abide in deeper in greater ways, God. Help us to do that today. Help us to be like Judah. Understand that you've not called us to be who we were. You've called us to be who you've made us to be. And God, thank you for using circumstances and situations in our life to create in us who you want us to be, to bring that out in us. Thank you, God, today for that. We love you. We adore you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's podcast. You can find out more about us at lhchampton.com. See you soon.